Hey everyone, welcome to the Green Scene Podcast. I'm Jeremy Safran. TGSP is the top global cannabis podcast. Everyone has questions and we'll cover the stories that matter and showcase the guests who make a difference. This week on TGSP, one of Canada's largest cannabis conferences called the Lyft Festival came to Vancouver and we partnered together with a TV show called THC Live to bring you some interviews with power players in the industry. Now, this format's gonna be a little bit different than you're used to hearing on the podcast because it was recorded live to tape. First up, though, we have Chief Corporate Officer at Aurora Cannabis. Now, you've likely seen Cam Batley's face before. He gets a ton of airtime, but it's also part of the strategies for his company to become the largest in this emerging cannabis market. We talk about his transition from the professional healthcare industry into cannabis. He also calls himself a scout leader, which he is in Ontario, but he calls himself a suit as well. So we get into bridging the gap in the industry between the suit types and the advocates. We actually talk quite a bit about things. We even check in to see if he thinks that Canada will actually reach its July goal. Let's take a listen. And don't forget that you can also go to THC Live's Facebook page for the tape show that we recorded on camera. Cam Badley, we all know him from Aurora, a big, big man in the industry. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Uh, I want to talk about how you got involved in the industry. We know some of the background, but two years ago, lay it down for me. I, I, I was actually working in the global biotech industry, uh, biotech and pharmaceuticals, and I was approached by a former colleague of mine in 2014 right. uh, who said, you got to get into this business. And I said, uh, come on, I do serious things. I work for the CEO of Bayer in Berlin and Pfizer in New York and uh, uh, Amgen in Thousand Oaks, California. What's this, right? Yeah, and he said, you know what? Uh, this is serious. It's real medicine. I want you to look into it. I want you to read the uh, clinical data that are available from investigator-sponsored trials and come back and tell me what you think. And the light bulb went on for me immediately right. because having worked in every therapeutic category in, in healthcare, uh, I was well aware that there's a vast unmet medical need with respect to symptom management Absolutely. across a wide range of health conditions. And that's where cannabis comes in. Uh, it's not a disease modifying yeah. therapy, but it is helpful in managing the symptoms. So I ended up getting into this business. Uh, at the time I worked for Canopy, which yeah. is uh, the only company that currently is larger than Aurora. Right. Um, and, uh, and got a really good training in this business and learned to love it. And then moved over in uh, the spring of 2016 to Aurora, and it's been a hell of a ride since then. No kidding, huh? Yeah. And how the company's adapted. We were talking before about the advocacy space and people actually engaging with those advocates out there, you know, the people that are passionate about the industry, and they want to learn more about what cannabis can actually do for them. How do you engage those folks? So let me emphasize just how much I've learned from the activists and the advocates in this business. Because I came in, I'm a super Right? right, I'm a business right, guy. Right. And one of the things that makes Aurora special is that um, more so than any other cannabis company, we've created this unique hybrid culture that brings together suits like me uh, with people who come from the cannabis community, who come from the dispensaries here uh, in Vancouver, right. who've been involved in the cannabis business for a long time, in some cases a suspiciously long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's where the expertise comes from and that's where the passion comes from. Right. And that has informed everything that we do at Aurora. And I have personally learned from them. So uh, that's been one of the most gratifying elements uh, of, of the work that I do and of the role that I play with Aurora. I've really, really enjoyed that. So we see quality assurances as being something that's crucial and very important in the industry, very important in the community. How do you 
talk or, or teach rather uh, a corporate culture within your community at Aurora, talking to everybody so that they want it just as much as you and they're just as passionate? So um, uh, quality control is, um, is par for the course in the business that I come from, yeah. biotech and pharma. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be the case in a brand new industry that you're inventing called the cannabis uh, right. industry, the legal cannabis industry. Right. Um, at, at Aurora, it's job one. Um, just like Ford used to say, quality's job one. But our QA rules the roost. Uh, so she sets the rules and uh, we all obey uh, this incredibly strict culture of regulatory compliance. Uh, and you have to do that because if you don't, you end up with the kinds of problems that we saw not yeah. long ago in this sector right. with people using nasty things that are not allowed yeah. uh, as, uh, well, on the plants. Right. And, and that puts people at risk and we cannot be having that in, in this business. Right. So we've established a, a corporate culture um, that, um, that, first of all, ensures that um, hierarchy doesn't matter when it comes to uh, the most important things like quality control. The QA rules the roost and nobody is going to tell her. Uh, if anybody tried to tell our penny uh, what to do, uh, you would be learning something That's new it. very, very soon. That's and that doesn't matter what level of the company that you're at. So function is more important than hierarchy. Uh, and, and establishing that, that culture of strict regulatory compliance uh, as, as something that's assumed from the very beginning is critical. So we've seen stigma dramatically increase in not only the last couple of years, but in the last few months substantially. How important is it to work with public awareness campaigns and with the government to educate? Okay, so education ahead of consumer legalization right. is critically important. And we saw that uh, based on the Colorado and Washington mm -hmm. experience. And we're starting to do that right now. We're starting to do public education on things such as keeping cannabis away from kids. Um, you know, I'm a, uh, they call me the squarest guy in the cannabis business. Yeah. I'm a scout leader for 10 years and a soccer coach for 10 years. And I don't want underage youth using cannabis any more than I want them using alcohol right. or psychoactive prescription drugs. So we're doing a good thing, uh, educating the public about that and also about the dangers of impaired driving. Right no matter what the substance. Um, that said, the stigma has changed in Canada very, very distinctly just since I got into this business. When I came into the medical cannabis industry in 2014, I tended not to want to talk publicly about right. what I did because right. there was still quite a bit of stigma attached to it. These days, it's that the parents of, of my scouts and of my soccer players right. who sometimes say, hey, I saw you on TV, what's the latest? And they're, they're quite curious. And I think the reason why attitudes have changed so much is because we've had three and a half years of experience yeah. with the medical system. And so we've got 300,000 yeah, 300, Canadians have a prescription. Totally. And if grandma yeah. is using it, if my uncle Ted is using it, right. um, then probably it's not so dangerous. Dangerous. So we've seen rapid social change around that, and it's very gratifying. So let's talk about and jump forward to, I'd like to jump forward if we can, July. Yeah. What can we expect? Where are we at? I mean, you guys are working with the government daily, I'm sure. Um, let's talk about how we're going to wind this thing open, and are we going to make the deadline? Ah, deadline. I know. You know, uh, who knows? The Senate might delay it a little bit, whether it's July, whether it's August. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. We're, we're doing it. Yeah. Um, so I don't think anybody should, you know, a, a panic if it's not July 1st. It yeah, doesn't really matter. And, and for some companies more than others, it doesn't really matter. Because for us, we also have different distribution channels right. internationally. We're yeah. already selling our product in Europe. Yeah, of course. So it, um, in big picture, should we worry about a deadline? No. Uh, at Aurora, are we worried about a deadline? No. How is Germany these days? A fantastic market, yeah. just just growing so fast. Uh, we own 
the largest medical cannabis distributor in the European Union. Right. Uh, it's called Padanios. We acquired them in the spring of 2017 uh, for about $23 million. And it's turned out to be a transformative, wow. incredibly valuable acquisition for us because it's opening up the entire EU. And, uh, and in Europe, there's tremendous demand and the, the excess of demand over supply right. for legal regulated cannabis is the story uh, globally of 2018. Right. And, and, uh, and a part of that story is that companies like Aurora and, and Canopy leading Canadian companies that are extremely well capitalized uh, and, and have made it their business to expand internationally, we're going to be putting our stamp on the world this year. It's really exciting. We're right at the forefront of it. Right at it. Thank yeah. you, my friend. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. And best of luck. It's going to be an exciting year. Thank you very much. Back to you, Nikita. All right. That was Cam Batley from Aurora. Uh, not only a, the largest company now, I guess. I mean, we talked to them just before the Canamed takeover and their market cap has surpassed that of which the competitor is. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, Cam is a great guy. We're looking forward to talking to him more about that takeover and what Aurora's plans are. In the meantime, next up on Q, we spoke to David Brown. Now, I've been following David's work for quite some time. He's the editor-in-chief of Lyft, or was. And I should say that because it's funny. We talked to him on the same day that it was his last day as the editor-in-chief of Lyft. Now, David's been educating people in the industry for quite some time. And imagine this now. He's moving over to work with the government of Canada. David's new position is senior policy advisor at Government of Canada's Cannabis Legalization and Regulation Secretariat. Try saying that 10 times. Now, we talked to him about the evolution of the regulations, the industry from 2013 when he first got started to follow what was happening in the industry today and how he got involved, the change of stigma. We, we, we cover a lot in this interview. I really, really like this guy. I'm excited to have him on the show again. Here he is, David Brown. Thank you, Nikita. We got a well-known human in the chair next to me, David Brown, who is right now with Lyft. We'll get into your new position with the government in a little bit. Let's first start about, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming Thanks for on, man. Yeah. Uh, welcome to 2018, as we call it, legalization. There's a lot of regulatory processes that are going to be taking place this year. But before we get into that, let's talk about your beginning, how you got started in the industry and what took place there. Myself and Lyft, I suppose it's, yeah. it's a similar story. I was paying attention to uh, the direction of the regulations in Canada when the, at the time the MMPR right. uh, was emerging in 2013, 2014, was following those regulations, was also following the emergence of things like Colorado's new laws, Washington's new laws. And I just sort of saw the direction that the industry was going here in Canada and that it was very different than we're seeing in the States. Uh, and so really began investing in uh, understanding that direction and the gaps that will need to be filled. Mm. And that's really sort of the emergence of Lyft as well, was developing a, a strain review platform that satisfied the consumer need of this highly regulated market. So when you got into the industry, would you have then predicted where, it would, where we would be standing now? I mean, this was an idea, it was a novelty, it was even possible awareness of it, but talk to me about that six years. I mean, I think there was. I think there was an understanding that this is the clear direction that uh, the industry in general is right. going, but there's still a lot of disbelief uh, for someone who's been interested in cannabis for a long time. I think all of us have been expecting this, but we're also really shocked that we're here now. Right. To which point did you have to look to states like California, or California now, I guess it would have been Colorado initially, you know, uh, Oregon, uh, Washington, to look at our regulation process and to see what we could do better. 
the difference really, you know, you can look, everyone likes to look at the states. They're, they're the big guy in the room. They get all the attention. And when Colorado legalized, Washington legalized, there was a ton of attention on that. But really, Canada's market is very different. And right. so understanding those differences, I think, is part of uh, being able to succeed in this market. Uh, the states is essentially the Wild West. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, referendums that were passed that essentially legalized businesses that were already existing. What we've seen in Canada here is developing an entirely new regulatory platform, uh, creating and licensing the producers, and then working towards licensing distribution networks, retail stores. And so it's really a polar opposite. Step, step by step yeah. process. So in terms of, let's talk about Lyft for a minute because we're excited, we're here at Lyft and big festival and expo of what it is. Um, the evolution in the stigma in which that has decreased as we have all come into this industry, where's it went? How did we get here with 200 exhibitors? We've seen, you know, first of all, in Canada, we've seen medical cannabis push through activism and through the courts, and the government was essentially forced to provide a medical cannabis access system. Mm -hmm. Globally, uh, internationally, we've seen the medical cannabis conversation get pushed into the forefront. Uh, a lot of uh, in, uh, expanding things within the industry in the United States have helped that. You know, Charlotte's Web. Um, Sanjay Gupta and his specials have helped push it into the forefront. But the medical cannabis community here in Canada and the legal emerges, emerging licensed producer system has done a lot to bring credibility to medical cannabis. Right. And you know the, the gatekeepers of medical cannabis in Canada are physicians. And so if you aren't f convincing physicians that your product is a real product, then you aren't going to give patients that access. Right, and right. so it's that professional nature of the existing medical cannabis industry that I think has really pushed things forward, helped remove a lot of the stigma, allowing patients to have conversations with their doctors, allowing doctors to be open to those conversations, and doctors to, to better understand the system as it exists today. So in terms of, I mean, again, you've, or you've, you've interviewed a lot of researchers and, and, and people in the medical community. That stigma has evolved. It's gotten better. They're yes. able to do more research. Where is it going come July? Medical cannabis or cannabis in general? Let's talk about the research behind it, being able to research right. it. I, the more sources for legal, federally legal cannabis, be it in Canada or around the world, offers more opportunities for researchers yeah. to do their work. In the United States right now, there are a lot of limitations on those researchers that don't exist in Canada because it's a legal product in Canada. Even though it's state legal, it's still not federally legal in the United States. And so we're already seeing more licensed producers sponsoring clinical research. We will see a lot more of that. And you're going to see, I think, once the emergence of the recreational market, I think you will actually see uh, more division between that recreational and, and medical space. And you're going to see more of a focus on very specific medical products. So titrated oils, um, sprays, um, dissolvable tabs, creams, right. capsules, things like that, that I'll give doctors more familiarity and more comfort prescribing things. Area. So right now, um, doctors to prescribe medical cannabis in Canada, they're essentially prescribing grams per day. But what we're moving towards with a lot more of these products, capsules and oils and things like that, is doctors being able to prescribe specific milligrams of cannabinoids, of THC, of CBD per day. And so it's that sort of 
translation into something that doctors understand that also provides more of an opportunity for that product to be seen as a legitimate medical product along with anything else. Yeah, they're more comfortable in this environment of pharmaceutical grade technology, Absolutely. right? Which makes sense. Absolutely. You don't, you know, you don't prescribe, uh, generally speaking, a, a physician doesn't prescribe a root or yeah. a gram of an herb. Yeah. They prescribe the active ingredients. And so as we move towards more standardized products, those active ingredients become you know, at the forefront, and doctors have a lot more familiarity and comfort with that. Right. Now, uh, you're in your final days here at Lyft, and so one of the things I want to talk to you about is your new position with the government, mm -hmm. and as we just alluded to, I have, I can't pronounce it correctly all the time, and you're still trying to memorize it. So, so, so tell us about what you're doing. My new role will be as a, a senior policy advisor for the Cannabis Legalization and Regulation Secretariat, and so that's the department under Health Canada that is seeking to uh, put together these regulations uh, that will eventually eventually be regulating the emerging industry. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, in terms of the government asking to actually actively engage with more stakeholders, more people that are familiar with the community, it's such a refreshing thing coming to July, wouldn't you say? It is, and as you know, my role at Lyft uh, as a communications director and editor in chief of Lyft News, I've been reporting, you know, sort of on this side of the thing and watching uh, the regulator change over time. And it, when I talk to producers, when I talk to stakeholders, applicants within the system, they all talk about sort of a night and day change between right. the old administration and the new administration. And there's really seems to be, uh, I don't want to say just an urgency, but an eagerness to get this right. There's an understanding. There's a bit of a tight timeline. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an understanding of how historic this legislation is. I think people are very excited. And I think the fact that they're reaching out to folks like me and a lot of other folks, they recognize that there's a lot to be done to get this right and there needs to be new innovative ways of getting there. So what's the responsibility then of say a licensed producer to provide that public awareness, that messaging, this, this stigma breaking messaging that we're starting to see in terms of what you're up to now? How are you working to engage those? How am I uh, within my new position yeah, or within what? within the new position. Uh, that's a, there's a lot of unknowns, to yeah. be honest. I'm yeah. going to be diving. My, my position starts on Monday. I'm going to really right. be diving in, and there's a whole lot of unknowns. But the LPs are responsible to at least engage in public awareness, right? Absolutely, and I think we're seeing uh, the benefits of that when we've talked about the removing of stigma. Yeah. Um, there's a shift occurring in the industry right now, and I think there's some from maybe the old culture who bemoan it because it's it's seen, understandably, it's seen as sort of a corporatization of something that has largely been a sort of unregulated black market, almost kind of a wild right, west. Right, right. But with that also comes that credibility. These are well-financed companies. These are companies interested in developing a, a, a respected product. And I think that really moves all of us forward because it's legalization isn't about normalizing prohibition culture. It's about bringing something into the light and introducing it to people who otherwise wouldn't want to be associated with some of those stigmas that used to exist. Right. So talking to some of these people within the LP model, for instance, it's funny because people still call it the wild, wild west, but as you look around the room, even downstairs and upstairs, it is filled with people with complete knowledge in the areas of this. How is that adapted? And is it really going to, are we going to hit July? Is that going to happen, July? I sure hope so. <laughs> I sure hope so, too. David, I appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Nikita, back to you. Well, thanks for joining us on TGSP this week. David, Cam, we thank you for coming on the show. We recorded six interviews at Lyft, so the next episode will also have more live tapings and more fascinating guests. We'll hear from a doctor who's transitioning into the industry and talks about roadside testing and what impaired driving looks like with cannabis. 
And what does cannabis do when you get behind the wheel? Thanks for joining us on TGSP this week. We hope you like the show. Don't forget to go to our website, www.thegreenscenepodcast.com, subscribe to us, and rate our podcast. We'll catch you next week.